Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the church here at Desert Springs. I am Drew Hodge. I'm the music pastor here, and with me, as usual, is... Chase Jacobs, the minister of theological training. And he's going to wake up at some point I'll be there. during this episode. Um, my, coffee, my coffee right here. Coffee's going to kick in, and this is going to be electric. Well, we are going to get a little weird this week on the podcast. Um, Chase, you preached on the first of two sermons from the book of Jude on Sunday. And the book of Jude is interesting in that it references these, uh, these Old Testament um, stories mm-hmm. and allusions to uh, what we would call like extra biblical writings. Yeah, yeah. And these, these ancient Hebrew writings mm-hmm. that were written... Uh, around the same time as the as the biblical books, mm-hmm. um, but they're not in our Protestant Bibles. Right. So these are uh, what we would call the apocrypha, and the other one is called the pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha. Yep. I I knew exactly how to say that before <laughs> we did this podcast. Um. So we wanted to just discuss uh, what are these books. Why are these books? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are they books? Why aren't they in the Bible? Why yeah. aren't they in our Protestant Bible? Mm-hmm. Because if if you're a Roman Catholic or a Greek Orthodox listening, you're like, oh yeah, those mm-hmm. are in those are in my Bible. Yep. Um, so why aren't they? And uh, and then how? Yeah, we could talk a little bit about how we did get the books of the Bible that we do have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how are Christians to approach and think about these books? So yeah. Yeah. so for uh, for starters. What are these books? Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, it is it is a little strange. I think a lot of people, if uh, if they're not familiar with uh, maybe just the book of Jude in general, and then they read it, they can get that can be kind of confusing, especially when you realize, man, he's talking about stuff that is happening in the Bible. You know, Michael and Satan arguing over Moses's body, or Enoch, who is mentioned in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing and saying things that there's no biblical record of them doing. So what is that about? Is Jude giving us some extra information about what, what really happened? And you, you know, um, yeah, and then, you, and then you find out, no, he's actually referencing these, these ancient books that were written. So it might help to kind of step back and just remember the history of the Jews, of Israel, and kind of how the Bible was written. Um, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, those were... Um, written over a period of like 1,500 years, you know, starting back with Moses and then going all the way up to um, probably, you know, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. Um, there's also the prophet Haggai was very late in the history. All of this probably to like the middle of the 5th century B.C., so 400-something, 30 B.C. Um, from the time that the Old Testament was finished until the time of Jesus and the the New Testament was being written, there's a span of almost 500 years um, yeah. that, that we usually refer to as the intertestamental period. So it was a period in between the end of the Old Testament and the starting of the writing of the New Testament. Um, and yeah, there wasn't, there weren't any prophets. Uh, mm-hmm. The temple was destroyed and then rebuilt, but it was never quite the same as, as it was. And so there was Lots of people in Judaism on record is saying there are no prophets right now. There's nobody mm-hmm. speaking the word of God, and so nobody's writing down the word of God. And that was why John the Baptist was such a big deal, because he was a prophet again. He was speaking uh, the word of God and um, in that kind of authoritative way that was 
uh, that was really important. And so in that period, there weren't any more books of the Bible written, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't anything written. Anything written. There was actually a lot written, and there was just a lot that happened to Israel in that time uh, that's not recorded in the Bible. So they were conquered by Alexander the Great, who made everybody start speaking Greek and studying Greek culture. Um, and then Alexander the Great died, and there was a lot of wars and different things like that. And then the Romans came in and conquered everybody. And so there was a lot of tumult in Judea and the people that were there. And so they're they're walking in their Jewish faith according to the Jewish scriptures, writing and thinking a lot about how to interpret the times that they're in in light of those scriptures, trying to just do, you know, even what we do today, just keep studying the Bible, keep writing helpful books about that, keep understanding what it is that we believe, applying that to this context. So there was a lot of books written, and um, you could think of them in maybe the terms that we would use today as some of them are like commentaries, you know, they're commentaries on books or passages of the Bible. Um, some of them are devotional material, you know, that are just kind of meant to stir up your affection for God. Some of them are histories, you know, that are mm-hmm. recounting the history of the Jewish people in between the time of the Testaments, and and then some of them are even biographies or things like that. So, And, and like commentaries of our day, would you say that some of them are better or worse or more reliable, less reliable, <laughs> not... Uh, yeah, so they definitely... And, and so this is it. When you start looking at, you know, what, what usually we would refer to as Second Temple literature, it's kind of the scholarly way of, of talking about this. It's the, it was written in the period of Judaism when the Second Temple was built. So there's religious development, there's different kind of thought. And so when you really start to study Second Temple literature, some of it does get a little weird. You know, it's, um, they're not using a hermeneutic that maybe we would be comfortable with okay. uh, in, in the post-Reformation West. Um, they, uh, yeah, they, but, but they were trying the same way that we were to be faithful, to meditate on the scriptures in a transformative way and uh, interpret that. But yeah, so they would do, I mean, really, they do a lot of the same things that we do. They'd ask questions of the text, you yeah. know? And and just like we would when we're reading the Bible, we're like, okay, wait, why did they do that? What's happening here? And they're trying to answer those questions sometimes, and they'll debate about that. Where it gets kind of weird is sometimes the way they would go about answering that question is they would write a fictionalized mm. story, you know, or maybe like an addition to uh, what, was happening in the Bible. So they would use Bible characters and kind yeah. of write it, you know, but they were really clear that they weren't, that, that what they were doing was speculative. What they were doing was interpretive. That was just their method for trying to comment on passages of scripture. So like when Jude, when he talks about Satan and Michael arguing over Moses's body, um, well, Deuteronomy just says Moses died and God buried him. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what happened. Um, but they were kind of asking questions about that. Like what happened to his body? Why was that? And then even questions about justification and, you know, how was Moses forgiven and accepted by God? And, and so there's this whole story about Satan and Michael arguing with each other. They know it's made up, but that's just how they're trying to answer that question. So let's, uh, break them down now. We've got the, the two words we mentioned earlier, apocrypha and pseudepigrapha. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, explain to us those two different categories of writings. Yeah, so Apocrypha um, is just the name. We're not really sure why it's got this name, but it's the name that was ascribed to a specific set of books that were developed in that period um, that uh, really gains a lot of prominence for us as Christians in that when, um, well, so to back up, when Alexander conquered 
the Jews, and they started speaking Greek. There, there came to be a lot of Jews who didn't even speak Hebrew anymore, and so they couldn't tr- they couldn't read the Bible. Uh-huh. And so there was a translation called the Septuagint that was made um, that that was translating the Old Testament into Greek. And part of that process when they did that was there was also compiled with the Septuagint some of the more important of these extra biblical books. And so they were always kind of grouped together, but everybody was clear on this is the Bible and then these are helpful commentaries or histories or books that we want to keep around. Um, And then when the Bible was translated by Jerome into Latin, he translated some of those books into Latin as well. So so that was kept, but he, even when he wrote that, was really clear that these other books like First and Second Maccabees and Tobit and Judith and the Wisdom of Solomon and, you know, others of these books, he said, these are really helpful and important for the church, but they're not the Bible. And so they were written down in Latin. And it wasn't really until the Reformation period that the Roman Catholic Church decided to include those. And even they have kind of a differentiated level of authority that they give to those books. So they're grouped into the Bible. You know, so if you have a Roman Catholic Bible, it's going to be a little bit longer than a Protestant Bible. But um, even they view those books as deuterocanonical. So they're a different canon, a second canon um, that has, they they give it a little bit more authority than we would, but, but still not the same. So when we say Apocrypha, technically we're just referring to that set of of books that are that are counted there, and mostly Old Testament, right? Yeah. So all of these would be before the New Testament was yeah. written when we're talking about it. So this yeah. is coming out of that Second Temple period. So you talked about the deutero canonical <laughs> and and canon and Dude, you're uh, getting good at this. You yeah, this. man, I need to take that seminary class where you learn how to say all these words. <laughs> um, how is our Bible put together, and why are these books not in our Protestant Bibles? Yeah, I mean that's that's the big question. Yeah. Um, so with with the books of the Old Testament, what we're talking about, um, that was there really wasn't any debate about what books were in the Old Testament. You know, they were, um, and you know, just to remember what qualifies something to be in the Bible, it's inspired by God. It's mm-hmm. God's word, right? And so in the Old Testament, that was that was really easy to know what was inspired by God because these prophets are speaking it and writing it down. Um, when the the canon of the Old Testament was closed, there really wasn't any debate. So by the time you get to the New Testament, you don't see Jesus arguing with the Pharisees over what books belong in the Hebrew Scriptures. You, um, yeah. the, the apostles are quoting the Old Testament all the time, and they never quote Maccabees. They never quote any of these other books that are, that are apocryphal. Everybody just knew what the Old Testament books were. Mm. And so even when you read Jude, Jude is probably the closest that any of the New Testament writers comes to explicitly quoting maybe in an authoritative way mm-hmm. an, an apocryphal book and even that when you study it just a little bit you understand Jude didn't think that was in the Bible either he just thought this was a helpful illustration to use yeah. from this well-known book that everybody had so when it came to the Old Testament everybody was was really clear where it gets interesting is in the New Testament and the kind of the process of canonization you know again, canonization is what we refer to as deciding what is in the canon what's in the Bible and what isn't yeah, so in the New Testament, why? Um, yeah, I'm thinking that's the birth of the church. The church is being born, and um, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Um, and we don't, yeah, we don't have prophets mm-hmm. saying God's word like we did in the Old Testament. Um, so then, how did we get? Um, how did we get our New Testament? How did how did we determine that? And what were the driving factors in 
even needing to determine like what is what is inspired scripture. Yeah. So even like what Jude says that there is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. So there's there's a body of teaching and doctrine um, that is the gospel, but it's more than the gospel that that everybody knew and guarded and, and kept. And that developed more as an oral tradition at first as Jesus imbued the apostles with his authority to go out and be his witnesses and in the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, say the right things about Jesus, you know, that he would give them those words. But then early on, partly because these guys were Jewish, they just had a category for writing down God's word, you know, so so they were apostles, but in that way they were prophets, you know, and so in, in that same sense, but their word was coming earliest in the form of letters that they were writing to each other. And um, you can even, it's interesting if you read First and Second Thessalonians, which are some of the earliest letters in the New Testament, um, the earliest Christian documents, you already get this sense that Paul recognizes that his words come with the force of God's authority, mm. of God's word. Yeah. And, and even the act of writing it down made this scripture. By the time you get to Second Peter, at the end of Second Peter chapter 3, he is referring to Paul's writings as scripture. So that was already developing. And then later they're starting to write down the gospels, which are these authoritative biographies almost of Jesus's life and teaching. But that even was just the writing down of an oral tradition that reflected the body of Jesus's teaching. So they're writing all of this down. And um, what what qualified something again as, as passing the test of being divinely inspired or being part of the Bible was one, was this written by an apostle? You know, that, that made it a really easy... Um, you know, yeah. bar to clear. This was written by Paul. He's an apostle. Um, but then we have some other books like Mark or Thomas. Tom, not Thomas. Uh, we'll get to Thomas, but Mark or or James or, or some of these other books that were not explicitly apostles, but um, were kind of apostle adjacent All right. yeah. guys. You know, so um, Peter was uh, or Mark was a, an associate of Peter. So Peter, an apostle, could have vouched for. Mark. And gotcha. so that's one yeah. of the, the first tests is what's called apostolicity. Does this have uh, an apostle signing off on it or writing it? And then another test was, um, does this just line up with everything else that we believe that the Bible says? You know, And so there were some books that were written. So um, you mentioned Thomas. You know, there's a yeah. book called The Gospel of Thomas that was written much later. And so that's another thing. It couldn't have been written around the apostolic period because it was written later. But then Thomas says some things that just disagree with other parts of the Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. And so nobody even accepted Thomas as part of the Bible because it was so obviously not. And it wasn't until, you know, the Da Vinci Code was written that people actually started thinking that the Gospel of Thomas mattered yeah. when in the early church they were like, clearly this is bogus stuff that teaches sure. false. Thanks a lot, Tom Hanks. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he did it for us. And back to the canonization process, that was... A large part to combat heresy, right? Yeah, uh, it was to it was to shore up. This is what the, the church right. believes, right? And, yeah. You know. So to, again, to go to Jude's command to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, um, they knew that there was kind of this sense that as the apostles were dying, that there was this real burden of um, guarding that teaching in a way, and even in a written in a written way. And yeah. so, yeah, we have to know what we believe and what we're contending for, and so. They, yeah, they took this really seriously of, of deciding what was and what wasn't in the Bible. Um, and, and then, you know, so you can kind of see this process of determining that happened kind of organically. You know, there, it, maybe thanks to 
the Da Vinci Code, there's kind of this view that there was like some conspiracy and some council where mm-hmm. the people in power decided what books benefited them and they kind of voted on it with, you know, a smoke-filled room. kind of. And that's just not how it worked. It was yeah. much more of an organic process of just naturally recognizing what was inspired, what was had apostolic authority, mm-hmm. what was commonly used. You know, there was, I mean, lots of books that were written, but only certain books were spread, you know. So there's a reason that First Thessalonians is used by the whole church because it was copied and it was spread all around, even though it was directed at one small city, you know, or a big city, but one relatively small community. So, uh, yeah, by the, like the fourth century A.D., people were sort of writing lists and checking those lists against each other. And that list of 27 books that we have in the New Testament kept on emerging, you know. So there were some, you know, and it's kind of, it would be an interesting study for somebody to look at how that debate shaped out. There really wasn't any question about the Gospels. Hebrews kind of bugged people sometimes because we didn't know who the author was, you know. And so could this have been written by an apostle if we don't know who it was? We know James really bugged Martin Luther, but that was <laughs> yeah. for other reasons. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, actually, even early on, James, because some people thought maybe James didn't meet that requirement of agreeing with the things that Paul said, you know, mm-hmm. but that's kind of only on a superficial level. So, And then James had a lot of credibility as an apostle-adjacent guy, you know, and so uh, that was accepted. And then there were some other books, you know, there's a book called The Shepherd of Hermas that a few early Christians advocated for that should have been mm-hmm. in the Bible, um, or a book called The Epistle of Barnabas um, that uh, were just cherished by the church. They were really widely spread in the early church. And even the books of First Clement, uh, first, first and Second Clement, you know, Clement was um, basically a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And some of those books were even argued that they should have been included in the Bible, but uh, the reason they were not was because they were written later than the apostolic period. And Everybody just agreed that God stopped speaking scripture at the close of the apostolic age. And so, um, you know, and that and to that point, books like The Shepherd of Hermas were really valued and, and they are helpful. You know, they're, um, they're not inspired, but they're neat, you know. And First Clement, uh, you read First Clement and it sounds like you're just reading the Bible some more, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And, and so that's how they kind of viewed these other books is, hey, this isn't the Bible, but it's good, you know, and we need to have a category for helpful books that aren't in sure. the Bible. Sure, yeah, we we promote those, and we have a book nook here, and yeah. we have all kinds of books that are inspired by, based on, support the Bible, try to help us interpret the Bible, right? and we would promote those, and certainly good writers um, who, who are thinking uh, right about the Scriptures. So, for Christians now, mm-hmm. how are we to approach these books? If you've never heard of the Apocrypha or any of these books— um, should you go to Amazon and and order one mm-hmm. now and start start reading it, or how how would you advise uh, believers uh, Christians to to think about these books? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know that I would recommend that be the first place that that somebody go to. Um, I think there's a place for someone in my position that's having to teach on these the New Testament um, because the New Testament is really influenced by these these books and just the culture that developed in the Second Temple period. Um, some people go way too far in that. Mm. Some people kind of think that we need to reinterpret our whole understanding of the New Testament in light of some of this stuff. Um, I don't I don't think that's right, you know, but but it yeah. is helpful. But I think if you're reading even just a good commentary on uh, 
on these books. So say you got Tom Schreiner's commentary on the book of Jude and read that. Well, he's going to give you kind of the background that you need to know on First Enoch and things like that. So I wouldn't recommend anybody go buy First Enoch. Um, I wouldn't recommend that they maybe jump right into an Apocrypha. But they are helpful. They are helpful to uh, give us a better understanding of the history. And then, you know, if there was any value in that, just I think there is a value in reading early church documents, you know, mm-hmm. and, and including these Second Temple documents. Um, that there's a lot of good books written right now, but we sit in a long tradition of faithful thinkers and, and writers. And so maybe it would benefit us to to go to, you know, the the wisdom of Sirach, you know, mm-hmm. as a book in the Apocrypha. I mean, that's a helpful book. Uh, there's, there's some really beautiful stuff in there. It's not perfect. It's not inspired, but it's good. Or um, even the Didache is an early church document that yeah. was, uh, some people argued should have been considered for canonization and it rightly wasn't, but that would be helpful. You know? But maybe you shouldn't be having your morning devotions through the Didache or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I said this in the sermon, you know, that Jude makes three three to one ratio of biblical references to extra biblical references. And so maybe we should treat that with, with uh, a bit of wisdom and we should be in the Bible a lot more than we're in extra biblical stuff. Yeah. And that includes John Piper. You and know what Spurgeon said, we live in the Bible and you visit other books. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, somebody said once, if, if you sit down to read a book, if you've got time to read that book and you haven't read your Bible yet, put that one down and read your Bible, you know. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, yeah, God in his, his uh, providence has, has uh, preserved the scriptures that we have, and we should, uh, we should be thankful for that. We can be confident in our Bibles that we have God's Word, mm-hmm. um, and it's sufficient. It is, it is complete. Yeah. Uh, it has everything we need for life and yep. godliness. Yep. Uh, we can be fully confident in that. Um, and then when we approach these other extra biblical uh, books and works, um, even ancient ones mm-hmm. and modern ones, we want to use uh, discernment. We want to know that this is not inspired, and so we need to read it with a more discerning Yeah, uh, Yeah, that the Bible is the authority mind. over those other books. And so we are just trying to... Uh, see how they line up with that authority. And sometimes a book can help us think better about the Bible and its authority. It can help us apply the Bible and its authority better to our time. Um, but we're not we're not going in the other direction. We're not imposing something that a book outside of the Bible yeah, says onto good. the Bible. Uh, you mentioned Schreiner's commentary on Jude, how he would have some good thoughts about mm-hmm. about these references. Uh, are there any other resources that you would recommend if somebody was wanting to study and have a helpful tool in understanding these ancient Hebrew writings? Yeah. Um, you know, really good resources. Is, it's kind of an expensive book to get, but um, Greg Beale and Don Carson wrote a book that's called the New Testament use of the Old Testament, a yeah. commentary on the New Testament use yeah. of the Old Testament. That's really helpful. They they go into a lot of that, and then they kind of you can use that as a springboard to go into um, into other other works. Um, there's a book that I'm reading right now that's been pretty cool. That uh, I'm gonna I, I, yeah, I can't even, but it's it's an introduction to Second Temple literature for students of New Testament. I can't okay. remember the author's name, but um, it's it's big, but it's got. Basically, every important book of the Jewish period, it's got a, a helpful conservative Christian introduction to those books, kind of what what's an overview of it, how was it used by the early church community, and, and so that's been gotcha. really helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, for you nerds listening out there, there's a couple good resources <laughs> for you. Those are both pretty thick. 
Um, but we, we hope this has been helpful for you. I know it has been for me. I feel like I know a lot more about these these writings uh, now, even after our just our discussion uh, leading up to your sermon, Chase, your sermon, and then our discussion here today. So um, if you have any questions uh, for us, you can email either one of us, Chase or Drew at dscabq.com um, for any general questions about our church and ministries, info at dscabq.com. You can visit our website, which is dscabq.com. And uh, I'm detecting a theme here, DSC. There's a lot of that. Yeah. We'll try to keep going with these podcasts and uh, Lord willing, have an episode for you in the near future. But for now, let's uh, let's hold fast to the to our confession and and defend the faith. That's right. uh, Once delivered uh, to the saints. And on behalf of Chase Jacobs, I'm Drew Hodge. Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Yep. Put it in the can. Put it in my can.